0: And welcome to the Dicers Screaming Podcast.
1: Ah, hello. Yeah, I'm Randy. I am Mike. And we are the... Oh, you're just going to jump right to it? You, sure. You, you don't want to flatter us first? No. No, okay, I'll go ahead and tear us down. We are We are but the penniless Montevanks of gaming podcasting. Yeah, we'll stop your carriage, <laughs> prove we're thoroughly disreputable, and then we're on our way.
0: Exactly. That's what we're here to do. We're here to crush your dreams and spirits
1: <laughs> and take your
0: cash afterwards um yeah so have
1: we inspected the luggage yet <laughs>
0: well we got them empty their pockets that's the best we can do no uh hey it's episode 249 and today we're going to be talking about a appendix and sci-fi movie night from the 70s like it's kind of a bed check for the 70s like hello 70s are you okay
1: yeah do you need some help yeah. Are you are you feeling all right there? Uh, it, it's the impression you'll get after having had a examination of these three seminal science fiction movies spanning from 1968 to 1976, uh, which have all been selected for this on the grounds that they have a dystopian, futuristic uh, tone. And, man, you know, it, although a couple of them don't really have, like, cult classic status uh, the way, you know, one of the, the more notable ones does. Hmm. I, I still feel like they're all three uh, perfect examples of a style of science fiction that was characteristic of the 70s. Uh, well, the tail end of the 60s, dawn of the 70s, the beginning of science fiction filmmaking taking a very different <laughs> turn uh, from, you know, I I feel like uh, we had come out of an era where it was very clownish and very silly, and then along came this much more serious, much more thoughtful, dark science fiction. Uh, So these are examples of that era that uh, we like all of them. This is not a best versus worst. This is three things we really like in dystopian sci-fi film uh, from 68 to 76.
0: Yeah, and we, one uh, a couple of these have been batting around for a while, probably well over a year to do this. So we finally pulled the trigger. We wanted to do an appendix end movie night on science fiction, and yeah, we've been hitting the science fiction, we're pretty hard in on this one, I think. And we're going to wrap it up, um, I think, with uh, a look at Iron Gods, and Star Frontiers in the not too distant future. But for our next episode, I think we must cast our gaze back to the Dromancer. Ah, Because there will be no arcane eye to it.
1: (laughs) Oh, oh, the druromancer is is really feeling the anemia. Oh, boy. (laughs) This much dripping blood to read the future is, you know, wow. (laughs) I I may have... the pinpricks on the, the finger are starting to wear me down. You're going to have to just punch me in the nose and have me stand over some white paper. Mm. <laughs> All right.
0: Uh, I'm starting to see the limitations of this form of uh, divination.
1: Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, the uh examines carefully the drops of fallen blood. And in the pattern of that, he divines the future. And he sees, next week, episode 250, Fear and Loathing in the e, in the OSR.
0: Ah, oh, yes.
1: A, a casual examination of a timely topic uh, that touches back on some things that we have brushed up against in the past. And we'll just give a more thorough examination of exactly how things have very recently shaken down.
0: Yeah. yep, a lot, uh, of, a lot
1: of new developments.
0: If you've noticed uh, on our Facebook page, I put a little screed up there about some of the happenings, so that'll give you a portent of what awaits for next week's episode, our 250th. And also, our 250th will be our giveaway,
1: where we'll be giving away a copy of... Uh, Adventures on the Sword Coast. Oh, okay. 5th edition. You know, Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide, Edition 5, copy, brand spanking new, no mileage on it, Uh, and uh, embedded in the chewy center of today's podcast will be The Question.
0: Right, and uh, we'll tell you how to do that and what to look out for, so it'll be somewhere in the middle. So you're going to have to listen.
1: Yeah, look for that in another 25 minutes or so, right Right in the center, we're gonna stop, and we're gonna drop the quiz. Uh, and hey, got a week to figure out what the answer is and get back to us. We're not gonna we're not gonna break your back on this one. It's not super hard. But it's a little bit of an old school curio.
0: Right, and we're just gonna mention that our
1: patrons
0: are automatically entered.
1: Yeah, all of our patrons are absolutely already entered. No need to reply. Uh, but for the new arrivals. Yes. Any any correct answer will automatically enroll somebody in the future drawing during episode 250.
0: Yeah, and if we don't get a a, a full winner, we'll just uh, wrap it off. So yeah, we're just gonna go not wrap. You don't have to buy a ticket. We're just gonna go, and uh, if you want it, just enter your name and. Uh... Will will uh, roll a die
1: in. I mean, if everybody gets it wrong,
0: right, it, it, and we everybody gets it right, we're just going to have to decide which one. But
1: oh, yeah. providing that we can't get hold of the person, uh, there will be no mailing charges required. We're picking up the tab.
0: Yep, we're picking up the tab.
1: Free item, free shipping. I literally, you like you you cannot not win.
0: So. Right, if you, <laughs> unless you don't win, in any case. You don't. You know, <laughs> But, you know, anyway, on Appendix and Movie Night once again. So uh, let's uh, get into the theater. And, uh, yeah, we had a lot of time to uh, talk about these, so we're just going to get right into it. So without further ado, the first offering is Planet of the Apes. And, of course, everybody's pretty familiar with the uh, relaunches and uh, reboots. I think Peter Jackson's reboot was pretty good. A lot more true to the original uh, material, but that aside... We're going to look at the 1968 one, of course, the one everybody's familiar with, with Charlton Heston. And if you're not familiar with it, uh, do yourself a favor and watch it. Uh, It is one of the approaches of science fiction uh, where in the late 50s and early 60s, some new voices in science fiction started to get uh, noticed and... Norman Spinrad, Harlan Ellison, and others. And of course, other people who had always been there, like Robert Hanlon, they had kind of a postmodern view of science fiction and they posed a lot of questions through the avenue of science fiction. So, no surprise that Planet of the Apes made it into this one. But this was a big theater, theatrical production. They spent a lot of money on this and got some first rate actors. To really highlight this, and what was simply putting people in monkey suits and masks and trying to pretend this was serious. This was a big thing back in the day, and some actors uh, just didn't feel like it was worth their time. Now, uh, for those who don't know, Planet of the Apes is a science fiction uh, franchise that got its birth from the first launch, it uh, had about five other uh, sequels off of it. And a couple TV, and including a TV series for a while.
1: Yeah, a, a briefly lived uh, Planet of the Apes TV series. Uh, <clears throat> this movie came out in 1968.
0: And starred Charlton Heston.
1: Uh, you know, we had not yet been to the moon proper, but we were working on it. Right. Okay, That like, the space race was underway. Uh, all of the systems were go on that. It was going to happen momentarily. But... Circa 1968, uh, the idea of astronauts going out into the universe was well entrenched in people's minds, uh, but the exact uh, parameters of that were still imagined. They were things that we we really couldn't fully quantify just yet. Yeah. We we could postulate, but we had not yet proven the hypothesis. So, uh, Planet of the Apes, like it has a band of astronauts returning to Earth.
0: Right. And it's based off, of course, Peter Bowles'. Uh, 1963 novel, the same name. Um, it was also called, uh, I think, Monkey Planet in several translations. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it, the
1: translations differ, but uh, the idea is centuries have passed. Uh, Earth is supposed to still be there waiting for them. Uh, that ode to the you know, peculiarities of uh, intergalactic spaceflight, uh, their return time. It hasn't been that long for them, but it's been a long time for the Earth and they're expecting to find a much more advanced Earth civilization waiting for them when they return. Woe betide them, for oh, that yeah. is not the case. There is there is nobody to guide them back in for their landing on Earth. Uh, and in the film, of course, uh, <laughs> upon crashing and salvaging what supplies they could. Yeah, it's anomaly a
0: space flight from Earth in the not-too-distant future, I think, nineteen eighty. <laughs> uh, these guys get sent for a long term uh, space flight, uh, potentially to reach a nearby star system. And they end up crash landing and, of course, salvaging what they can. And they then find that the denizens of this new world are primates. And initially, the uh, main character Charlton Heston plays. Oh, goodness, I can't remember it. Uh, yeah, the main character gets shot in the throat. And it, uh, it's not to, it's debilitating, but not life threatening, and he can't speak, so he's captured along with the rest of the humans by these.
1: Yeah, the humans of this world are uh, behaving essentially like monkeys. They they basically just graze and gather and you know uh, forage. George
0: Taylor, it
1: was his character, uh, Commander Taylor, and the primates on the other hand are the civilized society that uh, <laughs> you know has technology and uh, all of the accoutrements of what we think of as civilization uh, however uh, Mr. <laughs> Commander Taylor uh, is quickly disabused of the notion that civilization yeah, his, is his fellow that members twice. are killed
0: um, including one of the female uh, women, the only woman Uh, astronaut with them. She's killed early on and uh, the other two die. One dies in an accident and he's the sole survivor. So he's captured by these gorillas and then given over to the scientists who are chimpanzees, Dr. Cornelius and his uh, life mate, uh, Dr. Zira. And they begin to understand that this primate, this human that they have uh, been introduced to is different than the others. That it possesses great intelligence he, he seems to have emotions and sometimes morals especially when it comes to dividing food among his compatriots
1: yeah that he's and capable he, of planning self-restraint uh, and you know nonverbal communication to a far higher degree than any human they have ever encountered uh, Now this begs the question that in the their prejudice uh, it is inconceivable that a human, would have any of those qualities because a human is a base animal, you know, like just a stupid creature. They're they're of no actual use. They're a pest and a nuisance. Yep,
0: Dr. Zayas, who was supposed to be played by uh Edward Robinson. G Robinson. Oh. He was initially, but he couldn't do the health reasons. But he initially uh he was the one who kind of convinced a lot of actors, well, hey, if ever G. R. Robinson's gonna get in a monkey soup, then I guess
1: I can do. Oh, sure.
0: And so Dr. Um Zayas, an orangutan, who poos the whole idea.
1: Yeah, and these are more like the theocratic, political... Leaders. Yeah, they're the
0: leaders in long term. They maintain
1: the dogma, you know, the, the strict ways of our traditions, our ancestors. Uh, and clearly anything that contravenes our understanding of our faith and traditions cannot be accurate. does not matter if a scientist says it or if there's something here that bears studying. If there's something that contradicts what we already believe, then it must be expunged and we must never poke our nose in that again. Yeah. Yeah, it shows a whole...
0: he has a whole culture where they have the makers, the three wise monkeys. Yeah. See, no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil. That was a little thing in there. They, they threw some jokes. It was all serious. Uh, but there was some a little humor put in it. But this these were serious things. It examined race, social political issues, about, as we just discussed, about certain dogmatic themes in conservative culture, as well as the thinking of dogmatic approaches in how science class yep
1: Uh, as a lens of science fiction you know it it did let them examine all of these issues of the human condition that were relevant to modern life and wow yeah the
0: warmongering uh gorillas were very aggressive and they were prone to reaction rather than planned responses where actually the chimpanzees ended up being the most compassionate and intelligent the most human-like among them indeed but be- so charlton hesson's character commander taylor he finally regains his voice and is able to speak and they realize this, this he's just not a human from beyond the, the forbidden zone where they cannot travel they are forbidden to travel but that he has a ship that he came from another planet, and he's able to explain his situation. And so uh, Cornelius and his life mate, Doctor Sarah, they both decide to smuggle him out and explore this area. Yeah, and they are in tune. Uh, now they are outcasts among their society, and they explore the forbidden zone. And he finds that it's a city with great, uh, with once a great level of technology. Uh, they find a pacemaker and toys, and then he becomes very suspicious. And of course, the culmination is.
1: You finding a shattered uh, statue of liberty on a beach for that classic scene (laughs) homaged so often in so many other shows. You blew it up, you bastards! You blew it up! You damn you all the hell! Finally, did
0: it. You could. And there's the Cold War analogy: is that he finds out he didn't their ship uh, didn't crash in another world. Through Earth, through that navigation layer that they had and had to correct midway through, it did come back to Earth 200 or so many hundred years later. And uh, this was the fallout was that now primates were the dominant life force, and human was reduced to subjugation and uh, primitive primitivization. And that's another thing in itself. And of course, it spawned a lot of movies, and Roddy McDowell played excellent um there were several nominations uh the special effects was the one that was the big leader in this one and it showed that there was great promise in science fiction show, uh movie genres and the reason why we want to talk about planet of the apes right off the bat is it's so familiar and a lot of people have already watched it and are familiar with some of the reboots and refranchisements tim burton did one uh peter jackson of course uh one i think is more close to the original intent of the novels But you get to see that, hey, um, you know, even even this brutal ape world, uh, some of the uh, inhabitants are very respectful. Cornelius is a forward thinker, very progressive, and often pushes against the boundary of the conservative orangutan leadership. Yeah, the... Because he believes that science is more important than dogma.
1: Well, Well, that ultimately determining the truth is more relevant... Than appeasing comfortable feelings
0: and zero, you know, uh, disagrees with experimenting on humans. Yeah, she does. Uh, she is an advocate against uh, hurting humans because she believes they have emotions and feelings.
1: People for the ethical treatment of humans. Yes, uh,
0: and so <laughs> you know you have animal rights in there, and so there's all these things, and so
1: it's Committee deliberate, to deliberate <laughs> itinerant tree dwellers.
0: <laughs> so with
1: that, you got a commander. All uh, right. For those, I'm going to just walk that back.
0: Okay. <laughs> so with that, you had a lot of things put in there. And it is a unique movie experience from that time. There was nothing like it before. And of course, afterwards, it did change the genre. So we want to put it in there not because it was... Its impact has been diminished over the years. And I think the, the, the reboots and uh, uh, redos They're all fine in their own ways, but they also carry a little bit... uh, Every time they do it, they take away from the impact of the original. But the way that people viewed that film, and especially the scene on the beach with the uh, Charlton Heston breaking down, finally, he realizes he's not on
1: another planet. Yeah, that humanity essentially annihilated itself down to Stone Age survival and eventually regressed, uh, faded out of relevance, and was replaced That in our hubris, you know, in our rush to self-destruction, we destroyed everything that we had built. Now that, yeah, man, that stings. You know, there was a little burn there Mm. and people got it Uh, more to the point. They loved it so much that it, for the better part of, uh, I believe, a large portion of the 1970s, uh, this was considered one of the pinnacle films of science fiction. It was viewed with that same level of importance as a franchise and as an original film. Uh, the way we look at the Lord of the Rings trilogy or the Harry Potter series today, it was, uh, you know, and this was, it started in 68. So before Star Wars dominated science fiction in 77, and like kind of carried the banner forward. Prior to Star Wars, Planet of the Apes had that kind of clout. Yeah, Star Trek and
0: Planet of the Apes definitely were the big science fiction. And, you know, we're going to move into some other territory here. And this one was a bit of a deep dive. Mike had not seen it, and I uh, he finally just watched it. So I'm going to let him pretty much have this one. I'm going to mention towards the end, but uh, we're going to go into the next one. With this is where we start to have the concerns about seventies.
1: Are you okay? Well, uh, dystopianism was rampant in other films of the era. Yes, uh, we're not mentioning all of them because there are so many. I mean, yeah, we
0: did discuss putting roller uh, blade in here. You
1: know, a roller ball, not rollerblade. blade. Uh, roller ball. And there were a number of other movies that were like early 1980s that we also thought about uh, tapping for for this and it they just there are a number of even earlier i mean the forbidden zone and things like that twilight uh,
0: zone had know, a lot of this uh, uh, outer limits TV 1980s show. the black
1: hole you know we, we had a lengthy debate determining what we should include but we narrowed the focus to three moments of dystopia and Silent Running was the second. This was one Randy fought for because I didn't really know it well. But after I saw it, I was like, oh my God. Yeah, the tone is like near identical as we move through these three. Uh, A little unpleasant view of the future. Yeah. I got some ups and downs on this one. Okay. All
0: right. So Silent Running was a film. 1972. 72. Yeah. And, uh, featuring
1: Bruce Dern, who was fantastic. Tr-
0: Donald Trumbull uh, directed this one. He has a kind of a, a dark fate, a starried uh, appearance in his directorial. But Don Trumbull, if you know who he is, is uh, the direct or uh, science fiction guy from 2001. So Silent Running, a, a film. That uh, he directed, or Douglas Trumbull. I'm sorry, Don, Don, Douglas Trumbull, and uh, he was uh, definitely there uh, on the scene with 2001. But here we are talking about a film that he got together with for about a million and a quarter dollars. Uh, he was able to get this, but uh, funded, and they filmed it on a set set inside. An old mothballed World War II aircraft carrier, the Valley Forge, and of course, that's the name of the ship. spacecraft that they're inhabiting.
1: Yeah, and it starts with four crewmates uh, on a a space archeology there Yeah, American Airlines
0: is nominally the uh, parent corporation that funds <laughs>
1: this project, <laughs> and they have forests on these ships in space on their way back to Earth to reforest the Earth. That is the right. like supposed long-term goal that they were sent for. They were to go into space, see if this could be done, if they could uh, husband and carefully nourish these samples and bring them to full fruition and then return to Earth with them full and healthy and then use that to reseed an Earth that had lost most of its vegetation. They yeah, and no more forests, no more trees down on Earth, but they could bring it all back with this successful experiment uh, with Bruce Dern as the principal character. Freeman Lowell. <laughs> yeah, and wow. <coughs> yeah, so yeah, they're, yeah, they're on yeah. this,
0: uh, this like <laughs> arcology in space, which again fits back with our uh, starship warden. And a metamorphosis alpha, mm-hmm. uh, the valley forge. It's part of a fleet. There's other ones that have been mentioned, but uh, they have. They're uh, connected to these like arcology domes, and they have six of them. And so everything's going fine. And then uh, the parent corporation, for reasons unspoken, but can be assumed to be uh, for purely uh, um, uh, financial, financial motive yeah, gains, they oh. order them to jettison their. Uh, arcology disks, or domes, into space and proceed back
1: to Earth for obviously other uses. And uh, We need something else more, the like time and effort invested in this is no longer as important as what we need you for now. So just blast those forests into space.
0: Yep, so after four of the six are jettisoned, uh, Lowell revolts, and he opts to save the plants and animals. And that are left, and so he kills uh, (laughs) one of the crewmates with some explosives, and then the other guy... Well, he
1: chokes out the first one. Yeah, 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 that's right. The guy who comes to deliver the explosive to his arcology unit, the one that he personally worked on the most, uh, he chokes that, they get in a fight, and he chokes the dude out. Uh, So as soon as that dude's toast, uh, he also, he, he sends the, like, next to last... He's in the final remaining arcology. Yep. and he's when the other two astronauts go to deliver uh, the nuclear payload in this. That the, before they launch it into space, it's going to be blasted into smithereens. Yeah, that's fine. Lowell pulls the trigger on him, basically jettisons, and jettisons them. them both uh, while the timer is ticking on that <laughs> bomb. And there's no, you know, like there's no going back to the ship now. They're out there in space with the bomb, and they can't disarm it. So pow and now he's the only crew member. I'm just going to say this. As rough as the other astronauts were about, like, mocking him for his concern about living things and his love of, like, trees, forests, and living creatures that populated these arcologies, uh, after all that mocking, I'm like, I could already feel the bad news coming. Yeah. Like, I was only about 15 minutes into that movie when I figured out, Oh, dude, this is how you get shadow druids, okay? Yeah, Mister like wears a robe and goes hangs out in nature and digs in, like a, carefully puts together a vegetable garden and like lets the hawk hang out on his arm and you know like the bunnies come up and he can pet them. That dude, <laughs> you have to understand that he has something to fight for that he likes more than you. So, you know, you just got to enter into that a little cautious. This is why I'm not entirely comfortable with druids. All (laughs) right. Well, throwing it out there. Hey,
0: speaking of being not entirely comfortable with druids, let's talk about our hidden gem for the listeners who have endured us this far. Oh, oh, is it time? Yes, it is.
1: Okay. Time to let loose the kimono. (laughs) Full frontal kimono has been achieved. Alright, in our next episode, 250, we will be looking for people to have, we will announce you know, who has found the answer to this. Our quiz Uh, not, not a backbreaker here, but the 1980 color cover edition of TSR's D3 Vault of the Drow who provided the front cover art. Who was the artist that provided the front cover art for the 1980 TSR edition of Dungeon Module D3, Vault of the Drow? So that cover artist's name is the answer we are looking for. Please send that answer to the Facebook page by direct message on Facebook Messenger. Yeah, yes, Facebook Messenger. Uh, Those who are our patrons, you are already entered. There is no answer required. Uh, Now, everyone who gets a correct answer will be included in a drawing. And that drawing, during episode 250, will determine the person who acquires the Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide 5th edition new copy mailed directly to you. We will seek out that person's personal information communications, whatever communications are necessary to establish your location and we will find you and we will send you a book. Well, you know. I make sinister. it sound menacing. You did,
0: you it. just made it sound a lot sinister,
1: but I like I it. I have a very specific set of skills. I will find you and I will send you a book. I will deliver you a gift. <laughs> Damn you. It's so much scarier when Liam Neeson
0: does it. Yeah. Um. <laughs> So, yeah, just and if we don't have a, if we can't get a hold of that specific winner, we'll, uh, we oh, will
1: give warnings and then we'll, into uh, we'll
0: go, um, make another drawing. So, them's the rules. That's it. And that's all you have to do. Remember, all you have to do is tell us who the artist um, cover of D3, the uh, color version, who that artist is. Just send that into a, uh, Messenger on Facebook to the Dice of Screaming page, and we'll take care of the rest. You're entered in, and we'll make the drawing and announcement next episode. So, we're going to take a break and be right back, and we're going to talk a little bit more about silent running. So, stick around. All right, and we're back from break. So, thanks for sticking around. Yeah, just remember, just that uh, send your answers in to the face, uh, the Dice of Screaming Facebook page, G, and uh, use that uh, chat messenger inside Facebook. Let us know that
1: one. Yeah, reach us by any means necessary. Now uh, that said, we return to the topic of Silent Running in 1972, starring Bruce Dern. And I gotta say, uh, while there were a lot of elements I did like. Uh, <laughs> I despised the music. I mean, it was the most warbling, hippie esque, you know, like love the earth and hug the tree and, you know, like the love the planet and Gaia. Just, I I could almost taste the like Kashi, like oat breakfast, you know. (laughs) Uh, All right, all right. Settle it down. Let's reel it in for a minute.
0: Uh, Let's. So what what like, happens in, in... They feel
1: the substitute vegan bacon soy oh, okay. whatever act ah he done yeah. in every song that's how you feel. That having been said, okay, the movie so, then like after the initial,
0: he crisis, ends up yeah murdering his crew members. And he, justifications aside, he's then uh, he pilots it through a, the uh, rings of Saturn. And fake, kind of does a big explosion, signaling that uh, maybe the Valley Forge has self-destructed somehow or suffered a cataclysmic
1: uh, yeah, failure. Protecting the archaeology at all costs. He's got
0: one dome left, and he's left with three service uh, robots and drones, as they're called. And they're drone one, two, and three, and they have different colors. And so he ends up naming them Huey, Dewey, and Louie. And, of course, during the passage to the rings, he gets hurt, and so he programs the drones to fix his leg. And they show a level of, at that point he bonds with them, you know. They show a level of compassion, and he to them, and teaches them how to play poker, which they're not very good at. <laughs> he
1: writes programming for them to do these things, you know, and then like inserts the program cards into them. Yeah, uh, and that's a
0: cool kind of little uh, tidbit yeah.
1: there. Yeah, they were you know kind of like uh, floppy disk before floppy disks yeah. were, uh, you know, but. He deals with isolation, guilt, uh, encroaching madness, and eventually like as communications are reestablished with the other the remainder of the fleet, which did try to come back and make a good faith effort to recover him uh, much later uh, the kind of tacit acknowledgement that you know he cannot last forever out here. he, he really should go home. You know, to Earth. and Possibly even face judgment for what he's done. Yeah, just... For a movie that started off with the very simple premise that Earth was trying to reforest itself and then the project gets scrapped and a bitter guy kills his crewmates to preserve all the hard work he's done to, you know, uh, husband all of this forestry... Uh, and all of these creatures starting off with that premise it then descends into something i that i think of as almost more meaningful than the initial premise which was like the the isolation the guilt Mm -hmm. the uh survival Uh, you know way before uh (laughs) matt damon was alone on mars uh bruce Dern was alone on the rings of saturn uh in a ship yeah, when I saw
0: The Martian, this that movie came to mind.
1: Yeah, it, obviously it had an impact. It had mm-hmm. reach way beyond what I had grasped at the time. And leaving aside my hatred of hippie music, uh, you know, like not the not the cool rock stuff, <laughs> not the cool rock stuff. Okay, I'm not I'm not complaining about freaking Grateful Dead or the Doors or like anything from like '68. You know, I'm, I'm here with the Born to Be Wild and all that. I'm down with you. I'm down with you. But if you come at me with anything about a ride on a beautiful balloon, I'll punch you right in the face. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you were warned. <sighs>
1: you were warned. But yeah, well, when he started,
0: another thing is he uh, uses uh, the drones to help him maintain the biodome, and uh, they become very good uh, at it. And he, he he's wandering around one day. He drives these buggies. He's like six wheel little uh, bar buggies all around uh, in the interior of the ship. Just because he's bored out of his well, mind and because the ship is huge and this
1: is the fast way that they like
0: travel Yeah, travel from one section to the other and he ends up hitting poor louis oh
1: damages his own bot buddy and, has and he to feels so repair.
0: terrible he loads him up and then takes him into the repair bay and then the other two drones walk in and
1: kind of just like stand there and they don't really speak they just kind of it's... no wait i think by then they had already lost one drone uh, oh that's right yeah, yeah on the on the exterior of the ship making repairs didn't hurry fast enough to get down the port. Uh, and Yeah, when safety. he was crossing
0: the rings, yeah. He, he kind of pushed it, oh. or Louie died. but Yeah. Huey and Dewey, uh, he had so poor, uh, I think it was Dewey, and then the other one just stands mutely by, and he's like, get out of here, go take care of the other things, and it won't. Yeah. It breaks its own programming and kind of has an attachment to him and the others. So he recognizes that when his leg was hurt so the poor drone's leg that's uh, now irreparably bent is like his.
1: Yeah, it's extension. It's arm that uh, it has around him. It has been diminished, and like these aren't.
0: He fixes him best as he can, but pretty much leaves him in the dome because he can't move around like he can. He hobbles around as well from his. Well, leg he
1: has quite a limp left over from his impromptu self-surgery uh, trying to fix his leg after that that accident. Yeah. he... He was he was badly injured and in danger of death and alone because he had, well, killed all of his comrades. Uh, which, uh, man, it's what you get for messing with the druid. Yeah, well, don't kill your animals. What you gonna do then? What you gonna do then, punk? Mister Neutral, Mister Peace, Mister Hippie. What are you gonna do? What are you gonna Shadow Druid? That's how that happened.
0: <laughs> yeah, so, anyway, Lowell realizes that they're coming to find him, and they think that, of course, he survived with something, and he knows that his crimes will be uncovered.
1: So, but, but to preserve the last remaining arcology before he changes the heading for the ship and rendezvous with people, uh, he fires the last arcology off to orbit around Saturn uh, with the two robots inside it to take care of it. Uh, he's with not with Huey,
0: who was damaged.
1: Yeah, Huey, Huey and Louie. Uh, no, uh,
0: Dewey stays with him and they blow they blow themselves up at the end. Oh. Yeah, he decides
1: that, you know... He, oh, that's right. Uh, his own punishment, you know... Yeah, he's going to enact punishment. He knows that... He saved the arcology, but he blasted himself out of existence. Uh, you know, rattled... Sorry, riddled, racked with guilt yeah. for what he had done that... <laughs> but he did manage to save the arcology and get it uh, into an orbit so they can just leave it there. Uh, and if humanity ever changes their mind and says, hey, you know what? Some trees would be nice. Well, it, it's uh, it.
0: Yeah, and so... Uh, it's part of one of those things where the 70s... Again, it's, it's a slightly unique kind of science fiction film because it deals par- primarily with... Kind of a um, a Thoreau type character who wants is almost misanthropic that wants to just you know care for the animals and, and and trees and preserve what is essentially part of our heritage of nature that we're custodians of it and he ends up killing his fellow crew members over it and Mike's analogy to a shadow druid is spot on I think that is a
1: gamer's perspective he there. brushed up against the dark side. You know, like that in yeah. order to protect this, I'm going to be backed into a corner. They will either destroy it completely or I will fight back. That's it. Those are the only two options. There is no, well, can't we have a negotiation about this? No, you're not going to be allowed that luxury. It will either all be taken from you or you will fight for it. That is it. And when you back somebody into that kind of corner after like a lifetime's work to achieve a masterpiece uh, that is going to restore the earth like this guy has painted what is effectively a natural Mona Lisa yeah and then they're like oh <clears throat> sorry we ran low on the toilet paper so how do we just you know, like, Shh. Yeah. Ah! <laughs> I'll kill you all <laughs> yeah
0: and there's there's a certain amount of melancholy in this film yeah <laughs> be ready for that and there's also The area that they use, uh, they use the aircraft carriers I mentioned, but it really does, uh, it really fits the ship. And as a setting, I think that is marvelous.
1: Oh, yeah. It had a wonderful sense of size and scope.
0: Uh, And the drones playing poker. that, That scene always gets me. And how they wouldn't leave their injured friend. That was another
1: thing. <laughs> the drones playing poker and not real. like They don't really get how to bluff. They don't, and but, he's got chastised. But, uh, you know, you're, you're seeing in a movie from 1972, the tacit understanding that artificial intelligence doesn't quite accomplish the same things <laughs> as human intuition. Uh, there's an art to it, not just a science, you know? But, you
0: know, the poker night with the, with the drones is, is a pretty fun time, I think. Yeah, that, that's, that's <laughs> a good thing. To do. <laughs> What are you gonna do? Go down in the whole uh, archaeology hole, and play poker with the drones? Well, I just might. Yeah, you don't know.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: but uh, you know, a little reminiscent of that with data playing poker in uh, the next generation as well. Anyway, yeah, the soul Silo Running is one of my favorite films. It's kind of a niche film, and yeah, it's if you can find it. Of course, we try to tell you, but uh, places to find this is a little rare. But you can find it
1: on Hulu. So mm-hmm. get it download it, or don't download it, just get you uh, fired up. and uh, Yeah, we're not worried about people finding Planet of the Apes. That one's huge. Oh, you, yeah. can, you can still find copies of that. Now, Silent Running, it's a rare jewel, but it is out there, Hulu specifically. Yep,
0: you can find it on Hulu. So, uh, going to our last one, so closing this out here, is one of my personal favorites because yeah, it's, uh, it's again a literary novel, and uh, Logan's Run, 1976 uh, is with Michael York.
1: Yeah, cult classic that, that for those not in the know, uh, it had enormous reach compared to a lot of other sci-fi products, okay? Uh, Maybe not as obvious as Planet of the Apes, which had franchise-level power and, you know, continued to be in the public sphere. But this one movie, Logan's Run, uh, wow. Do people hail back to it over
0: and over again? Yeah, it started out as a novel and is uh, branched off into a TV series as well. Uh, It's been homage in comics and other short stories. Constantly. It it survives,
1: and a lot of people... It's the velvet underground of 70s sci-fi movies, okay? Everybody who saw it wanted to do something like that.
0: Yeah, uh, and it was in a, a mall in Houston, I think, that they put this one in. And so the backdrop uh, is... Dallas-Fort Worth area. Oh, right, right. Okay, thank I've you. I've
1: been to the the water park that is featured dry with the water turned off uh, in the ending sequences of Logan's Run. Uh, and I've clambered all about the place. It's wonderful. It's a most remarkable water park in the Dallas-Fort Worth region.
0: Yeah, so the novel, Logan's Run, was by William F. Nolan and George Clinton Johnson. And they kind of had a utopian future where, on the surface, society is everything you need. There's no work, there's no toil unless you really want to do it. And then uh, everything's provided to you.
1: Yeah, the level of effort that you must put forth to survive is so small. All right, just just like a, a certain minimal... like yeah, hunger to,
0: has been solved. Want, basic need.
1: responsibilities, it's all underground you know, it's
0: self-contained and self-sustaining, but there's a price for living here. Yeah. <laughs> Anyone who reaches the age of 30 has to be retired. Yeah. Well, so no trust. Day. Nobody over 30. There was the Abby Hoffman, the thumb in the eye of Abby Hoffman trust. Nobody was a life experiences. Okay. But the point was, is that uh, that wasn't Abby Hoffman's point, but here we are. They took this and they ran with it.
1: And I like that point. Abby Hoffman, uh, made that statement at an age and a time when all of the people past a certain age are ready to compromise and discuss and work their way towards a realistic solution that you know uh, and the 20 somethings really didn't want to hear oh hey how about if you surrender 99% of what it was that you were aiming for and like we hand you these couple of crumbs uh you know as an as a compensation for that so the cynicism of people past a certain age group was referenced, uh, you know, by the the radicals of a time, the progressives of the 1960s. Uh, and then here's this movie. Yeah, is it he 30 yourself? So, how do you feel about Nolan's that? Nolan's book just wrote that. You know, he basically ran with that. Is like, okay, I hear you, buddy. So how about if we uh, extrapolate from that, a society with nobody over 30?
0: <laughs> and so Logan's well, character, Logan 5. <clears throat>
1: the Sandman. And and he's a Sandman.
0: It. And what a great... Uh, at first, you see, like, hey, they're kind of like superheroes. They counsel people. They, they are kind of watchers on the society for deviants and uh, troublemakers. Yeah,
1: they work very hard to maintain the safety, the integrity. I mean, they are, in many respects, like everything that a police officer should be. Uh, the sandmen are. You know, they are, they are there to help in every way possible to facilitate a safe and happy life.
0: But they take a lot of glee in going after runners. As a matter of fact, that's, they have, when they go on shift, that's what they're looking for. We're going to have a runner tonight? I hope we do. It's been pretty boring this last week because they love hunting them down.
1: Yeah, it's one of the few challenges that they will ever get during the course of their yeah, career. And, you know, like a once they reach the age of uh, being able to like have a form of employment uh, you know a purpose uh, and they're the rock stars i mean this is like the most prestigious task you can undertake so this for them this is their olympics you know this is they may only get a few opportunities in the course of their career like oh man i'm going after a runner uh, and have it be difficult Uh, They'll get people who need to be talked to, who need to be convinced, who need to be, you know, gathered. Uh, But a real runner, somebody who's really going to make it work for this, that, uh, that's the height.
0: Yeah, they love the adrenaline rush. But now there's a problem, as the movie poster says. Logan's 29. Yeah. He's approaching his 30th birthday. And he doesn't understand... Like, if he really wants to terminate himself, he's starting to empathize with. during a chase with the runner. He starts to empathize, and he hesitates, and he's uh, chided by his uh, comrades. Like, oh, he hesitated on that one. He
1: he was paying close attention to, to the choices the runner made and the direction the runner was headed. Why did this guy think this is the way to get away? Where did he think he was going? I'm curious about what might have been in this guy's mind because I've got <laughs> clock ticking on my life. Yeah, everybody
0: has that little gem that shows how close you are and how, and this is just getting uh, starting to uh, gl- or, uh, pulse very rapidly. So, uh, after an encounter with Jessica Six, who is anomaly with the underground that shelters and provides for runners in society, those who don't wish to go out in the spectacle known as the carousel, which is this glorious, almost Bahallin-like death where they There is a spectacle and uh, it affirms the rebirth and uh, that their genetic uh, seed is carried through into the uh, Alpha Complex's clone banks. So they'll be perpetuated by a new generation and all that. They're then uh, gloriously terminated in this uh, kind of zero-G chamber by... uh, random laser part until the last one's left and of course who's the last one you don't know they're all masked but it's a big spectacle and that's how you're supposed to go up. he doesn't oh you could also self-terminate there were termination boosts in there ah shades of paranoia
1: <laughs>
0: pick that one up termination boost yep
1: yeah those uh wondering why this you know that's uh, Logan's run had a lot of impact on paranoia the role-playing game and that's another reason we chose it because for dystopian sci-fi with hidden punch you cannot ask for more than Logan's Run. It is it is brushed up against you know like art, music, gaming, uh, you know television. Yeah, film, just their names like books.
0: Logan's Five, Jessica Six. So after uh, a night's dalliance with uh, apparently people put themselves inside so this kind of uh, aforementioned grinder or Tinder, where you just kind of scroll through people and self-order.
1: Yeah, like, who would I like to have sex with today? Are they into that? Is that a thing that, like, all right, have we got an agreement? Like, the two of us just want to do a thing? Yeah. Okay, cool. You know, Yeah, was- and she just, she said
0: she didn't know why she wanted to be there, but, uh, but you know, he has just a conversation with her, and he's really intrigued by her intensity of, like, she doesn't believe that people should be terminated, but she knows somebody in the underground. And so he goes on, a, 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 he is then
1: pulled by the computer. <clears throat>
0: And given a new mission, his termination
1: date will be reset. Yeah, he'll get extra time—a thing not normally given, if and only if he can find sanctuary. Yeah, the The, the place—the hidden place—all the runners
0: are going. He finally hears about it, so the computer sends him on this mission. So him and Jessica Six go through the Undercity uh, Alpha Complex and finally escape. And they find a group, but they are very hostile and shadowy. But they get him through. Because, nominally, he's a shit sandman, and he's obligated to kind of terminate them. But they find a robot who tries to cryogenically freeze them. Uh, he has to deal with fellow sandmen who come after yeah, him. The computer sticks them on him, uh, in nominate, in nominally, to uh, provide um, some kind of bona fides to his purpose, his original mission. But uh, they finally get outside, and they realize that Alpha Complex... Uh, was originally made to shelter what was left of humanity after some either global or ecological disaster. And then now the world has returned back to its former pristine state. And they find a human who has a beard and he's very old. (laughs) And he was uh, uh, the offspring of runners who did it naturally rather than through the clone
1: production. Yeah, like an honest-to-goodness, natural-born human who's old. And they, yeah, they're just so intrigued. They Like, he's got wrinkles all over his face. It's like, oh, yes, Johnny. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, just a wonderful...
0: Living in the House of Representatives <laughs> with
1: cats. <laughs> <laughs> yes, a very large number of cats. Uh, but the kind of tacit acknowledgement at the end that usefulness, meaning, uh, purpose and worth are not all connected to use uh, you know that it was a sort of a rebuttal uh, to the you know ageism of that was creeping into an era which the, the boomers who may have been guilty of that arrogant ageism at that time are now of course all in their 70s and 80s so uh, you know Nolan's message uh, <laughs> it's not lost there yeah uh, I'm sure pretty much a universal rate to recant on that one. Like, if anybody thought that, like, yeah, man, that'd be badass back in, like, 1976, uh, I I am sure that by now <laughs> they have all gone, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, uh, all right, yeah, I'd, I'd rather still be here. <laughs> right. And
0: that was the thing. And, of course, they could stay out. They made it. He had eliminated the Sandman coming after him. Yeah. And... They, him and Jessica Forge and Bray, they learn a lot of how to survive, what to avoid, and for a while they consider. You know, she becomes pregnant. She's no longer under the birth. Their jewels fall, or their uh, life jewels fall off their palms. Um, she gets pregnant, and he's he. They could live their life out here, but he leaves Jessica behind. And he goes to confront Alpha Complex. He has to give. He feels obligated to give the truth. That he feels that he's achieved something but he's still driven by this kind of a moral purpose, almost the repentance for all the people he killed. Yeah. And so he confronts the computer and the whole thing falls apart. And then they're forced to go out into the computer goes into a self, uh, a, a logical loop and destroys itself. Uh, when he downloads end the information that it was there to keep people safe and it was keeping them safe, but he confronts it by saying that you're oppressing them. You're breaking the natural human cycle. It, you are illogical.
1: You are not protecting them from anything anymore. Yeah. You are protecting them from going out. And you are causing their lives.
0: them harm, and yeah. that is against your directive. You were never to cause them harm, except for to continue the species. And now that is yeah. Ending. So is they, it the
1: leading cause of death in humans is you. <laughs> so. Yeah. So <laughs> he goes.
0: He but he leads them. In, you know, having the knowledge from the old one that they found. Uh, he can uh, now teach them how to survive and rebuild society. So that's how the, the movie ends. And it and it and it was a lot of recept, mixed reception. Some people said it was kind of hokey. It was a false premise. Well, they say that about all the movies. Instead. Oh, like, everything yeah. we've
1: mentioned here, all three of these movies received the hokiness complaint at some point or another. Uh, special effects and CGI and things like that were different. Okay, that you, without the, yeah, we did have you, heat without out. modernity. We had to make do with like costuming and uh, like lighting and illusion and act. Honestly, it was a much different time period.
0: Excuse me, so, that was uh, Peter Ustinov was the old man.
1: Ah, yes, Peter Ustinov. I'm sorry. Uh, and
0: uh, Roscoe Lee Brown as Box the voice. Oh, I love that. Yeah, Box. But yeah, Box uh, kind of seems jovial at first, almost like a, a very kind of like yeah. a, almost a a saturine kind of character that yeah there's plenty to eat fish bounty of the sea <laughs> and then he
1: dies the freeze because that's what he <laughs> does uh, i wish we'd had time to get into a, a boy and his dog with don johnson yeah the we
0: also wanted to mention uh moon base two zero which was a hammer uh film science fiction production that never got off the ground but had unique premise but just didn't know what it wanted to be there's a couple others uh, of course we mentioned uh, rollerball which you know, yeah, I see. that <laughs> It's got some points, but yeah, it's not anything uh, really to write home about. But yeah, uh, Logan's Run received a lot. And uh, of course, it, um, it still lives large in a lot of people's minds. I would recommend a careful reading of the novel. It is a little shocking in some of its treatment of um, young folk. It was, it, the author does not shy away how uh, a society like that would abuse uh, children. And I was like, oh my goodness. It's a kind of a thing. Yeah. Well, yeah,
1: with the shortened lifespan, yeah, uh, and the level of like accumulated, uh, like the almost the inability to accumulate a sense of responsibility. Right, right, you're not you're not there long enough to develop that fully formed sense, and then to take advantage of the experience of people before you, because they're not there anymore either. You know, just literally the examinations in the novel, while brutal. Are kind of painfully, hauntingly accurate in my thoughts. I mean, yeah, just, and just me. It, but I liked
0: I liked the film. Michael York, uh, one of my favorite actors out of that era. He never really got much work after that. Uh, you'd see him here and there, but definitely one of the more distinguished actors. I think he was deserving of a little bit better than uh, just being typecast. Yeah. But uh, also, uh, what Jenny uh, Agutter. The uh, lady played uh, Jessica Six. She went on to several other things, but again, still kind of like, eh. She was that pretty girl wearing a skimpy dress and prancing around a little bit of so probably not very good. But I think she gave a good performance in it.
1: Yeah, now that, honestly, uh, that's the movie that I think had the the greatest hidden clout. uh, While Planet of the Apes had the much, you know, more widespread popular reach. And then Silent Running is kind of lost to history in many respects, but still, it, it captures that sense of like the end of the 1960s, the you know, midway to midway through the 1970s, the creeping cynicism that people had about the future of mankind, that where are we going to go from here? I mean, you know, where like if we've seen how badly some of our decisions have already impacted us, you know, to extrapolate from that and then move forward, you know, like how badly do you think things might go awry? Uh, And all of these represent that like science fiction-based concern where you could project into a dark future for humanity through the lens of science fiction and examine things that were quite relevant to the actual real world. Uh, And I, I love science fiction for that. It gives us this safe space in which we can discuss things that... If we were to look at them purely in the sense of the here and the now and the, the real A lot world, of our
0: personal and political they're, biases. They're too upsetting. Yes. Yeah, they are too upsetting. And that, that is what the purpose of it is. So when we say that, hey, 70s, are you okay? No, no, it wasn't. They and, clearly
1: weren't. And, they took the brown acid at the Woodstock. So,
0: but they did help us understand where we were going. And we're still fighting a lot of these questions and problems today. Yeah, so, still wrestling. <laughs> so, all right. Well, I think that's going to do it for yeah. us. Our appendix and movie night here at the Dice of Screen comes to conclusion. We hope you enjoy. Please pick up your used beverages and uh, popcorn <coughs> trays and deposit them in the handy disposal Race containers. Race receptacles. Yes, that's right. For recycling second. See your way out. However, uh, before you go, remember uh, our little quiz in the middle. If you didn't miss it, uh, you can mm-hmm. go back and and uh, to send us your answers on our Facebook page using Facebook Messenger. Just uh, send it to the Dice screen and uh, we'll enter you. right. so depending on the amount banks are on our way out, we're retreating with our loot hastily garnered and ill-gotten.
1: We leap upon our horses and flee into the wilderness.
0: (laughs) So we thank you for listening and hope you tune in again. Until next time,
1: may may the dice always roll in your favor. favor. We're out.
0: See ya.